I'm going to hit record. We're not, I, I'm always like afraid that if I hit record and immediately start talking, I'm going to look like a crazy, you know, person. Like not that many people watch the it, on YouTube. I think it's too long. I know that sounds weird, but people like short. Um, but it's, we'll see. I'm excited. Thank you for being here. So we'll, Welcome. we will go. And besides your website, sorry. And like, I was going to talk about your podcast and have that linked okay. in the show notes. Anything else that you want me to mention or, um, or books or. Yep. Um, my autobiography is out there. The queen within becoming the woman God intended um, is, is out there and circulating just was featured at the London book fair back in April and featured at the LA times festival of books did really well um, at both. And, you know, it's, uh, it really is the, what I call the, the liberating piece. I had someone email me um, their comments that are, that's reading it the other day. And they said that one of the things that they appreciate is my transparency throughout the book and how not only do I expose myself, but I expose the reader too. And because I am raw, um, I tell people my filter is busted, but um, because I, I don't sugarcoat that they felt like that was one of the powerful things about the book is that I'm not, I'm not, I don't do PC. I'm not worried about being politically correct. I'm worrying about helping people. And in order for me to be able to do that effectively, I need to be able to be honest with people. Um, and I, I keep it real and I keep it raw and I meet people where they are because life is not sugarcoating anything. Life is throwing us curveballs constantly from a fast pitch machine. And I, I don't I just feel like if I sugarcoat I'm doing my readers and my clients and anybody else that I interact with a tremendous disservice. And that's just totally contrary to who I am. And when you sugarcoat things, sometimes I think people don't see things for what they really are like they don't they don't see how bad it is or how good it's it is like right and i'm a i'm all about like authenticity and just being you and that's, I, I tell people i'm good at being me <laughs> so <laughs> me too why, i wasn't for a long time but i like, yeah, like i figured I, it out good and, bad or indifferent i'm gonna be me unapologetically and i'm life is not a popularity contest um I'm not worried about whether or not you like me. I don't, I don't but, yeah. my, my existence is not validated by whether yeah. or not I'm popular. So I'm like, your opinion I, of me is none of my business. Say that, say that again. Right. Like I, you, <laughs> I don't need to know what you think about me. I, what I think about me is far more important. That's right. And if I worry too much about what everyone else is thinking about me, I'm right. not going to get anything done. Exactly. Exactly. And quite frankly, like some of the people that now I might care about what you think of me or take your feedback if I care about you. Right. That constructive feedback is important. But, but if you don't matter to me, like, I don't care. Like uh -uh. some some teenager the other day, like called me fat or chunky or whatever. I'm like, yeah. And like, do you think you I don't have this. a mirror? Do you think I don't see my like, OK. Right. See, I don't think you don't see all my goodness. <laughs> like, like, you know what? Thank you. Or yeah, like some like 
somebody was like, oh, you think you're going to hit on me? And I was like, no, like, I don't want anything to do with you. Like, I'm happy. And I was like, anyway, because it was like a 23-year-old kid. I'm 43. I was like, mm. just chit-chatting. And right. he was a little tipsy. And I was like, oh, my dear, you could not handle this. Mm-hmm. And then I stood up and walked away. I was like, you had like, oh, you were, you like, sweet child. So, all right, well, let's, yeah. let's get started. Um, all right. So, hi, this is Amanda Dolan and welcome to the Mental Society. Today, I am joined by Dr. Lauren Pitts. Dr. Pitts is the CEO and founder of Legacy Counseling and Life Coaching, um, an author, and she also hosts the House Talk pregame podcast providing powerful, raw, real-life sports and mental health information that athletes and their families need to make well-informed, athletic, and life-transforming decisions. Sorry, I got caught up on my words. So, (laughs) Dr. Pitts, thank you so much for being here with me today. Thank you for having me, Amanda. I'm looking forward to Um, what sounds like it's going to be a powerful conversation. I'm really excited. Yeah. So, I ask you to come and talk about like mental health and, mm-hmm. um, and sports. And mm-hmm. I'm really, I have young, younger kids. They're, you know, 14 and 15 and my son plays football. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've seen some really great benefits for him in that process. Mm-hmm. So let's start with like, what are some of the great things that organized sports give us? Oh my goodness. It's organized sports have a lot of benefits for our kids. You know, the, the opportunity for them to make friends and to learn order and structure and discipline, to know what it's like to be motivated, to be able to sort of submit to leadership, to learn how to both lead and follow, um, to learn how to have um, a, a, a good attitude to have good sportsmanship to, you know, take wins and losses. To, I mean, the list goes on and on and on. There, there's an endless list of benefits that our kids really can experience from playing sports. And you know, for those kids, many of them do. I mean, they have that dream of going to the pros. For some of those athletes, you know, it is a, a gateway to a, a career beyond the, mm-hmm. you know, the, the elementary, middle high school level, it can be instrumental in helping them to pay for their education if they right. need to be a stellar elite athlete and can go to college on an athletic scholarship. And for those few, because a lot of people don't realize there's only 2% of athletes that go into the various professional leagues, but that's still 2%, right? Yes, there's mm-hmm. 98% that don't, but that 2% that do is an elite group that has the ability to go on to do some extraordinary things. And then there's tremendous benefits that go with that, being able to provide for their family, being able to get that exposure, being able to be extraordinary role models for family, yes. friends, community, and really the world. So it's a lot of benefits, a lot of them. Yeah. And I like, you just, I, I like it. That made me think of like LeBron James, right. Who he didn't even go to college, right. He just went straight into the pros. Yeah but you don't hear bad things about him. Like he seems like, you know, he has got it together. He's used this as a platform. He's made a lot of money, right? I mean, this is, but he's also doing a lot with that. And, and I, but I didn't 2% actually is more than I thought would go 2%, which yes, a small number, but 
there's a, you know, that's not for some. Right. And also like not everyone is cut out for it on on different (laughs) levels. Right. I mean, there's, cause there's a lot of like mental game, right. That goes into being a professional athlete. Absolutely. Well, here's the thing, Amanda, that a lot of people don't realize is that with each level of athletic play, so some children start out at as young as five years old in their, you know, their athletic involvement, um, depending on what the sport is. I, I know that there are people that start out that have started their children out as early as four years old, for example, in golf or martial arts or competitive swimming. Mm-hmm. So it really is sport specific as to how young the child might start their involvement. Mm -hmm. But we're talking four or five years old. Gymnastics is a sport where they start really early as well. And you're going all the way up to perhaps the, the pro level. But here's the thing that people don't understand. There's a different level of commitment at each level where one's mental health is concerned. Why? Because the demands are much greater as you advance to each level going up into the pro level. So there's a lot of preparation that has to be done emotionally, physically, financially, spiritually, intellectually for these scholar athletes that, that there's a lot of attention that needs to be paid to that. And the mistake that parents make and that people make period oftentimes is that there's laser focus on the athletic performance and not nearly enough focus on the mental health and the overall well-being of the the child. And that's something that I'm really passionate about. And I want to get into that in a minute, but I wanted to touch on, you know, my son will get in the car after practice sometimes and I'll be like, Oh, this person did whatever. And we all had to run uh-huh. laps. We all got punishment. Uh-huh. And I have like this back and forth with like, oh, like they're showing, you know, that they're a team and that like, there's some like uh-huh. almost peer pressure for them all to behave well and to, uh-huh. you know, work together. Uh-huh. But then also it's like, well, that's kind of crappy that my kid did everything right. And he had to run, you know, in Texas and, you know, mm-hmm. full pads in the afternoon, mm-hmm. an extra four laps, which is, you know, about a mile. Yeah. Like that's, yeah. that's a lot. And so, and I think that, you know, sports is about often about community, even those individual sports like golf, like you're still on a team, yeah. there's people that you play with. Yeah. So how does that like punishing the whole team for one person's actions impact the community of that sports team? So there's both benefits and, and drawbacks for that, right? Because what it can do is it can encourage camaraderie. It can strengthen that sense of community because it creates space for accountability. It creates space for teammates of that athlete that's dropping the ball, no pun intended, Mm -hmm. to, to pull that athlete up and be like, look, we're not all about to run gassers. We're not all about to run lat. We're not all about to do suicides or, or whatever the punishment is because you don't want to do what you need to do. And that creates space for the adverse, right? Because, you know, if, if I may say it in, in street terms, some, some athletes, you're going to get a beat down in the locker room because it's hot yeah. as fire outside. And we just had to run an extra mile because you wanted to come to practice late or because you wanted to mouth off at the coach or because you kept, right. you know, fumbling the ball or whatever the case may be. Not cool. It's not okay. 
But the flip side of that point too is, and I've seen coaches do both. The, the flip side of it is to single the athlete out to punish them with the strategic approach that the team is going to step up and say, well, you know what? We're, we're going to do it with them. But then there's still the door opening up for accountability here to be like, Hey, you know what? It's hot, man. <laughs> or, or girl, stop playing around and do what you need to mm-hmm. do because we are a cohesive team and we're not going to see you sort of be punished in individually but we're tired of pulling up your slack too. So it's this interesting balance that needs to happen. And again, I've seen coaches take both approaches and both can be effective, but both can also be harmful too. So the onus of of striking that balance really has to be on the shoulder of the coach to know their players, to have an appropriate connection with their players to be able, you know, sometimes you got to get benched. Sometimes you need to be called in the coach's office. Sometimes you need to be set aside and set apart if you're not, if if your performance and your overall behavior and attitude is not helping the team, team. but breaking down the cohesion of the team. So it's a lot of moving parts is what I'm saying that go into making those decisions as to what the consequences should be and could be for for an athlete that's not pulling so there are benefits of that, like accountability, yeah, team building. Mm-hmm. You know, I there's always that saying, like, there's no I in team, right? Right. right. Mm-hmm. Except for somebody once said to me, yeah, there's no I in team except in the A-hole. You know, because if you write a capital A, it becomes. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And I'm like, yeah, that's, I, I kind of like that, that like there's no mm-hmm. I in team except in the A-hole. And so um, it's, it's kind of that piece. Like if you're going to be the jerk that keeps doing all of the things. Right then you're not maybe really you part of the team. Right. Um, maybe, maybe you don't have the right attitude that's necessary to be a part of a team sport. And you might need to do some self-evaluation with that. And, um, you know, one of the things I've noticed too, with like my son's friends, he started late, which is funny to me that he started late in seventh grade playing football. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. and there were kids that have been playing for years at this That's point. That's five in midget. Mm-hmm. Right. And um, and so I see, like, whether it's soccer or baseball or gymnastics or all of those things, um, mm-hmm. these kids that are constantly going, you know, they might have, you know, conditioning in the morning before school, and then mm-hmm. they have school, and then they have their, you know, hitting coach, and then they have team practice, and then they travel every weekend. Mm-hmm. And it seems like there's just this busyness of some of these athletes. Mm-hmm. And how does that affect, like, not just their mental health, but the mental health of their whole family? It erodes it. It erodes it. And that's something, Amanda, that I address pretty frequently with parents of athletes that I work with, uh, is that you and you and I were talking before we started recording, right? So one of the issues that we have is that there are a lot of parents that are living vicariously through their children. Mm -hmm. That's a problem. It's a problem that needs to be addressed. It's a problem that needs to be addressed when parents are pushing their kids. I mean, just annihilating. I remember when my son was playing little league baseball and back, my son's 35, but back then there was a young man on his baseball team, this kid, I want to say they were maybe 
nine or 10 at the time. And this kid was pitching no hitters at like 10. Like he was a beast. He was an absolute beast, but it was because his dad had his foot in his back all the time. And he literally was just annihilating this kid. So it's like at 10 years old, 11 years old, this kid's shoulder is having to be iced. Like how many kids do you know at 10 are pitching no hitters? Like it was insane, but it was because his dad was determined that this kid was going to be a major league baseball player, which he did not become. Why? Because he grew to hate freaking baseball. He grew to hate it. In other words, his dad was trying to live vicariously through his son. He had had this dream himself of being this amazing professional baseball player. Oh, yay. Yay, Amanda. I have a son. Now my son is going to be it. And his son hates baseball. I've seen the same thing with athletes and other sports player kids that were like really good in basketball, but they just wanted to play because they wanted to have fun. But these parents are putting this exorbitant amount of pressure on them. They are literally just browbeating these kids to be this stellar athlete. And there's nothing wrong with being stellar until it erodes your mental health, until the kid is suicidal, until the kid is depressed, until the kid has anxiety, until the kid is on the pitcher's mound crying because he didn't strike players at. Like, seriously, there's something very wrong with that picture. And it almost makes me wonder, and you may not even have an answer to this, but like if we let our kids have fun, like if that father instead of pushing his kids so hard, he just Mm -hmm. let his son enjoy baseball. Mm -hmm. Would he have made it to the pros? Maybe. Maybe not. But But it doesn't define him. It it doesn't define him. Fun. It was part of his life, not his life. You know what's so interesting about that on a a whole different level? You know, I, I think about my son started playing sports literally when he was five. He played football basketball, baseball, um, ran track. And and this, you know, these events came in throughout the course of his, of his life's journey. But he very easily could have gone to college on a baseball scholarship or on a swimming scholarship, right? But he said to me and his father, I don't want to play sports in college. I, he, we recognized he was really, really good. He was really, really good. And, and easily, could have gone on a full Mm -hmm. athletic scholarship, which his father did. But growing up seeing, and we were teen parents, so seeing his dad and and the the sacrifice that his dad had to make away from him, away from our family, away from everything, he was like, mom, I just want to go to college and have fun. I want to be able, I don't want my love for sports to be a job. I want to have fun. I'm not worried about going to the pros. I'm good. Like I have a, I have a career in mind and it's not in professional sports. I'm not worried about going to the Olympics. I'm not worried about going to the junior Olympics. I just want to be an extraordinary human being that, you know, that is rock solid and stable and, and can live a good life in the whole nine yards. And we were okay with that. We were okay Mm -hmm. with that, but so many parents aren't okay with it. And it's to their children's detriment. I have a friend um, who, whose son was an elite athlete um, in mm-hmm. high school, you know, played on the high school team, but also on a select team, traveled, mm-hmm. went to college, and his freshman year he played. Mm-hmm. He almost failed out because of the rigors of the sport. Yeah. And he he knew he was not going to play his sophomore year. And he talked to his mom, mm-hmm. I'm not going to play my sophomore year. But he was so mm-hmm. afraid of telling his father and his coach 
Yeah. Because he didn't want to let them down. It wasn't that he didn't love the sport anymore. It was that he saw this is taking over my life and yep. I don't like I'm it. And I'm, and I'm not, I'm not going to be professional. Like this was lacrosse. Right. Like, I mean, you know, yeah. he's not going to be a professional lacrosse player. He wasn't, right. you know, he was in a division three school. Like he, mm-hmm. you know, it, this wasn't him getting There's a degree no or not. He died for this sport. This sport is killing me. And I didn't come into playing this sport because I want to die for it. I came into playing this sport because I I have fun doing it. I'm getting some sort of joy or fulfillment out of it, but I'm not going to lay down my life for this darn game. And that's like, that's where he was. And I'm, I was so proud of him for saying, this isn't working for me and I'm not going to do it anymore. Um, and I think there are a lot of kids that feel like they can't necessarily. I mean, I hope that I hope all all the kids out there feel like they could say, I'm not enjoying this anymore. Yeah, so but they can't, Amanda. They can't. There's so many when I think about the athletes that I work with and have worked with throughout my career, I honestly can say that most of them don't have a level of comfort that they can go to their coach or go to their parents and say, you know what? I don't want to do this anymore. There's so much guilt associated with what if I let them down, you know, but like, and even here's the interesting thing, even on my, um, my podcast, my host is a former scholar athlete. He's also a licensed clinician And he said, you know, football, he started playing football at eight years old, seven years old, and played, went to college on a full athletic scholarship at a division two school and did extraordinarily well. But coming from a family that was um, not impoverished, but a lower socioeconomic status, Mm -hmm. as we were talking about before, before recording, participation in sports is expensive, right? Right. His guilt associated with continuing in that sport, even though his body and his mind was tired, was because my parents have invested so much money into my involvement in this sport. I don't want to let them down. And what I'm about to say is going to sound really, 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 really harsh. And it's going to sound borderline insensitive but this is how I feel about it. Do parents want to push their kid to break? What would you rather have a kid that says, mom, dad, I don't want to do this anymore. Or what would you prefer to have the police knocking on your door saying that you have to plan your child's funeral? Last year in 2022, Amanda, here in the U.S., we had five Five collegiate athletes at Division One schools commit suicide. There were more internationally. There's a problem with that, that these young people didn't have someone that they could go to and say, I'm overwhelmed. And I'm thinking about ending my life because this pressure is this pressure of this sport, this pressure of life is too much and I can't take it anymore. And I'm not blaming. I am not blaming the family members. I am not blaming the parents. However, we do have a responsibility to create an emotionally safe space Mm -hmm. for our athletes to say, it's too much. I don't want to do this anymore. 
let me just say like that made me like I had a reaction and it's sad. And some people might be listening and think, well, five, like that's not very many. But if you think about the total number of collegiate athletes there are, there's really not. One is too many. Yes. Oh, yes. A hundred percent. One is too many. One suicide is yeah. too, it's too much. Yeah. Um, but I imagine, I know that growing up, um, I had some friends that were gymnasts and skate mm-hmm. ice skaters. Mm-hmm. And I know several of them developed eating disorders because they mm-hmm. right, had to look a certain way and they had to yeah. fit into the, mm-hmm. you know, all of the costumes and they mm-hmm. had to look the right way and you can't weigh too much and expect to be a doubles, um, you know, skating partner and be thrown up in the air if you're too big. So was it Thai Babylonia? I know this was a million years ago, right? That she, is that, is that who it was, a skater? She was a little bigger, but not big. Like, that's what's funny is like, she wasn't. And, and I remember who Thai Babylonia was, but I'm not seeing her in my head. And the skater that I'm seeing that was a little heavier the most wasn't Thai Babylonia. And I can see her face clear as day. Um, the girl, remember, remember the skaters where the other one orchestrated the Tanya, hit, Tanya the Harding? Tanya Harding, was yes. And Tanya Harding. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but this like idea of, you know, I have to look this way. I mean, and even for like, for example, football players or mm-hmm. wrestlers, wrestlers mm-hmm. would be a big one because you're in a certain weight class. Mm-hmm. If you are starting to restrict your diet so significantly at 12, mm-hmm. 13, 14, mm-hmm. that's impacting your physical health. Right. Long term. Yeah. Um, as well as your mental health. I mean, right. There's so many pieces to that. So like, if a parent start like, well, maybe do parents even notice that their child is struggling like that? Or so some, here's, here's that. So here's the problem. <laughs> some parents notice, some parents don't. And some parents, Amanda, are a part of the problem. When I think about some of the the athletes, particularly my female athletes that I've worked with over the years who have communicated to me that their mother was the one that was on them about their weight and all of this pressure. And here's the, the kicker, not just on them about their weight as it relates to their athletic performance, but on them about their weight as it relates to an intimate partner. Like I literally, I when I think about a case that I have now, one of the things that we're addressing is this exorbitant amount of pressure that the athlete is under because the mom is just like, you know, you gotta lose weight, you gotta lose weight, you gotta lose weight. No man is going to want you if you're fat. You know, your your times are too slow. Like, it's bad. It's really bad. And that's a perfect example of these parents who have their own issues mm-hmm. that they're projecting or transferring onto their children that is eroding the child's mental health. It's adversely impacting the child's athletic performance. And it's this vicious cycle. It's that core negative interaction pattern 
that I talk to clients about that really for us as clinicians speaks to this systemic piece, right? Recognizing mm -hmm. that that the family system and the athletic system is creating this chain link fence, if you will, that is, right. that is in, it, it, how, how do I want to say it? It's imprisoning our athletes. It's imprisoning our athletes and it's adversely impacting their mental health. That's, again, like, it's just, it's this pressure instead of it being fun and because mm -hmm. sports, right? We're all like, I feel like sports were created to be mm -hmm. recreational and fun. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And when it gets to this, where everything that you put in your body, food, you know, you have right. to count the calories or am I getting enough protein and, or, mm -hmm. you know, in a wrestler, like I have to drop four pounds before tomorrow's match. Right. So I'm going right. to put on a sweatsuit and sit on this. Go run until for... I must pass out. Mm -hmm. But I'm not going to drink any water because that might, you know, add weight back in. So now I'm dehydrated or, and about to die. Or maybe I'll even take a laxative and help like clean my system out so that like, because yep. every ounce matters. And, right. and so I think that what people might not realize is that men or males can also have eating disorders. This is not oh, an exclusively female. I'm sure it's primarily female or I think. Or I wonder if it's not, and we just don't talk about it, or it's we don't see it. Well, when you look at the the NCAA, um, and I don't have that. That's what I what I glanced down. I was actually trying to pull the stats for you. Um, but yes, there are men that have eating disorders. Um, you know, there's there's body image issues in both sexes within the field mm -hmm. of sports, and it is a problem. Statistics show that the, the higher percentage is among female athletes, but then you have to take into consideration, like you said, is that number accurate because men don't report? There, there's among our athletes, there one of the issues that we have where mental health is concerned is they underreport. So when we look at the stats that we do have, it stands to reason that those stats are probably higher than the data that we do right. have because we have an issue of underreporting again because athletes don't feel safe reporting. Well, I think so many people when it comes to self-reporting mm -hmm. don't for fear of judgment, even right. if it's completely anonymous that, you know, people don't right. always believe that. Um, yeah. but, you know, so like I wanted like, just another question. So what about the kids in the family who are not the star athlete who didn't mm -hmm. end up, you know, being the whatever. And so they're kind of on the sidelines. How does that impact their mental well-being if they're kind of the extra kid? Well, it all depends on how the parents manage that piece. When you think about the fact that children learn from us, they are mm -hmm you know, the, they imitate their atmosphere. The apple doesn't fall far from the tree, those sorts of cliches. But they, though they're cliche, they're real. And right. parents or primary caregivers set the tone 
for the child's attitude in response to their athletic involvement. And if the parent's head is not on straight, it stands to reason that the child is going to be adversely impacted to some degree. They might not be adversely impacted to the magnitude that the parent is, but to suggest that the child is not going to be impacted is ridiculous. Like they're going to be impacted to some degree. So if the child that's not the elite athlete is encouraged to go out, do your best, have fun, make the most of it. You know, you celebrate the small victories. Did they get in? They didn't get in. It doesn't make a difference, but there's so, even if it's a child that, you know, is sitting on the bench for the season, that's fine. Now you have a teachable moment to teach them about having a good attitude, about encouraging their teammates, about being that rah-rah player, right? That's, right? that's the hype man. You know, they get to, they get to be the hype man or the hype woman for the team and they may get an opportunity to go in and shine. They might not, but there's still teachable moments in those experiences where they can still be a great promoter of what it looks like and feels like to have good sportsmanship. And that's what it's all about, right? That, that person could go on to be a great coach someday. Yes, because I mean, coaches don't have to be the best athlete out there because coaching, I mean, coaching is different than playing. It's about knowing how to be a leader. It's about learning how to motivate. It's about learning how to bring the best out of the people with whom you're responsible for coaching. And, and I still, I will forever say this, like there are people that are meant to coach certain levels, Absolutely. right? Like, yeah. You know, I think about I grew up in Kentucky, so like Kentucky basketball was, you know, a thing and it was I was there in the 90s when, you know, like it was UofL and UK were both. Yeah. And I remember when Rick Pitino went to the Celtics and he did mm-hmm. not do great as yeah. a professional coach. Yeah. Yeah. But he was a great college coach and there's a difference because right collegiate yes. athletes are often dependent upon staying on the team for their education. Whereas professional athletes, yes, it's their income, but they, they don't have as much to lose, especially depending on the rank. And they can move around more. The ability for professional athletes to move around and to, to, to be traded to other teams, to request a trade, to even, you know, you have some athletes that went from playing here in the U S and they went to one of the overseas leagues. Mm -hmm. There's a lot, more flexibility and opportunity for movement at the professional level. So it's not so much in, it's like professional athletes aren't playing with the level of desperation that sometimes you see players playing with at the collegiate level. Or even, I mean, I would assume high school too, because if they're trying to get that scholarship and you can't move around. Starting spot because that's where money. And if you, you know, as a high school athlete, you don't get the opportunity to move teams because one, right. there's, you know, rules about that, at least, you know, yeah. here, how long you have to live somewhere right. before right. you can transfer things like that. But, you know, you're in a district and you're zoned for a school. So there's not a lot that you get to decide when it comes to moving around. Um, I think that's, yeah, I like that. I, I didn't think of it that way either, that there's that mobility almost of mm-hmm. at the professional level that you don't have 
at the, the collegiate, well, now at the collegiate level, they've, the NCAA has sort of modified some of um, the rules around being transferred and eligibility to play once you transfer. They used to have to sit out a season, right. but now you can go into the transfer portal and you can play. So they've sort of, the NCAA has sort of relaxed their regulations okay. around that. But kids, like you said, at the middle school level, at the midget level, at the high school level, don't have that same luxury. So there is a, a greater lean toward desperation in maintaining one right. spot sometimes that, that you don't see at the higher levels of athletic play. So when does a parent or child say, you know what, this is enough and we're done? Like, this isn't fun, beneficial. Like, it, How does one it's, know? It, well, it, it's going to be case specific. Um, but what I would say to, to the parents and the athletes that listen to your show is that you have to listen to your body and you have to listen to your mind. If it it, it, it's the same concept as getting up to go to a job for us as adults, right? If you go to work every day and you genuinely and sincerely love what you do and you get fulfillment mm -hmm. out of, you know, doing the paycheck or, or as some people used to say, you would do it whether or not you were getting paid. If you get to a point where your athletic involvement starts to feel more like torture, and it's actually mm -hmm. painful and you find yourself dreading playing, dreading going to practice, dreading the upcoming tour or whatever the case may be, mm -hmm. then it's a time for you to pause and say, hey, there's something going on here. This is not fun for me anymore. I'm, I'm not loving this experience anymore. And that's a golden opportunity for parents to really sit down. And yeah, you might be disappointed, but so what? So what? Get over it. That's not it's not like that the be all end all. Like there's other things that kids can do right. that can teach them some of the same skills that they get from athletic performance, but that doesn't put as much pressure on them mentally. And they can actually they can enjoy being kids. And that's part of the problem with us as society. Kids aren't kids anymore. Oh, I, kids aren't kids anymore. I mean, I'm amazed at like my, some friends that I have who, you know, their kids leave at seven 30 in the morning to go to school and they get home at nine o'clock at night and they right. still have homework and dinner and a shower right. and laundry and, you know, all the things. And it's like, how is that to me? I is don't have my kids over and like when, you know, for like my son on game days this past year, he would leave get to school at eight in the morning and we wouldn't get home until depending on where the game was 10 o'clock at night. Right. Now that was one day a right. week for, you know, 12 weeks or something. It wasn't, right. it wasn't long, but it was enough that even me, I was like, Oh, this is, I don't want to be in my car outside the school waiting for the bus to show up, yeah. you know, at 10 o'clock at night and tired. I just want to be done with my day too. Right. Um, but he loves it. And so I will, I mean, it's not that much of a sacrifice, but I will, you know, do those things because yeah. he loves it. And for him, he has created some amazing connections through that. He's yeah. made some great friends. You know, my daughter, she's in choir mm -hmm. and she loves choir. And in some ways that's a team sport, right? Like you're working yeah. together, oh, you're practicing together. 
Mm-hmm. And so there's another place where you can learn how to work as part of a team without, yeah. you know, the physical demands the, the physical on your de- body and the financial maybe as well and the time commitment as much. Choir, the debate team, academic organizations, you know, you you still, high schools still have DECA. They still have FBLA. They still, you know, depending on where you are geographically in mm-hmm. the country, there's academic organizations that kids can belong to right. that have some really awesome competitions and they take kids on trips and they do some really extraordinary things with kids that actually teach the same things conceptually that athletic involvement does. And it's less taxing on the body, it's less taxing on the mind, and it's less taxing on the wallet. And so, like, they're great things, right, from these sports. Mm -hmm. And also there can be, um, I don't want to say, like, well, there can be problems. There can be, like, some downsides to them. You know, as we get older and we're not in that, you know, going to be a pro athlete, not even in that super competitive place. How mm-hmm. about like those intramural sports or the community, you know, softball league? Mm-hmm. Like how do how does do those as an adult, how can that impact our mental well-being? Well, it's just like anything else, right? There, there's definitely benefits to it because of the whole sense of community, but it's 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 simple, but it's not. Here's the simple explanation. Anything in excess can harm you, yeah. period. So it, balance is imperative. As an adult, play, like, you know, for a long time, my husband played um, for the adult kickball community mm-hmm. and he had a blast. He absolutely positively had a blast. It was tons of fun. He had a really good time. But when it got to the point that it was just like over the top, just really, you know, folk just really intense. He was like, I'm over it. I'm over it because I'm doing this to have fun. And yes, we want to win. And his team was winning. But when you've got fans in the stands acting crazy and like, it's just yeah. too much. It's like, you know what? Where is the balance? It Everything doesn't have to be a crisis. Everything doesn't have not to all be or nothing. First experience. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't have to, when we think about that, right? We clinically we'll look at it within the context of cognitive distortions, that black or white, that that extreme, extreme mm-hmm. thinking, the catastrophizing, oh gosh, if we lose and I lose my starting spot. Are you serious? Like, do you have nothing else in life to live for but this sport? And therein lies part of the problem. People's identities, Amanda, become consumed with these sports mm-hmm. to their own detriment. And who this, am I without football? Who am I without basketball? Who am I without baseball? Who am I? Who am I? Who am I? Who am I? Who are you? someone really amazing underneath all of that that yeah. you haven't taken the time yeah. to get to know and develop. Yeah. You're, you're, you are a stranger to yourself and that is a problem. So at the end of the day, play sports or don't play sports. If you're having fun and you're getting something from it, awesome. Yeah. If you're not, reevaluate and Facebook and in a hurry. And at the very end of the day, if you're the parent and it's about you and not your child, yeah. like think about that. Like what are you, like maybe you as the parent needs some help 
And I'm right. sure that that um, Dr. Pitts, you could help parents navigate. <laughs> I'm if, trying, Amanda. I'm trying, trying to help folks because it's um, just like, woo. Yeah, yeah you know, we all want we all want help. the things, right? That we all want to have the the best. And as parents too, we our identities are based somewhat in our children. Yeah, um, indeed, because they are part of us, and yeah. that makes sense. But don't let what you you want. Don't be a helicopter parent. Don't be a helicopter parent and allow your child to be uniquely who they were purposed and predestined to be and allow them to navigate life in the healthiest way possible. And, you know, so many parents don't allow that to happen. I, I know one of the things you mentioned before we started recording is, you know, what do I say to these parents that have their kids involved in, you know, all these clubs and sport and everything else? And I say, you, you can't manage all of that. You can't. It's like when I think about some of the, the children and, and adolescents in my own family, I have said to my relative, they're doing too much. It's like the kids say that, right? The, the kids right. say, just go, you, you're doing too much. You're being extra. Well, no. They're doing too much. Why does your sophomore, your junior, your senior in high school have freaking anxiety? Why does your sophomore, your junior, your senior, why is their hair falling out? Are you freaking kidding me? There's 24 hours in a freaking day and you're supposed to sleep eight of them. Why is your kid involved in six clubs, four sports, a partridge and a darn pear tree? It's too much. And oh, by the way, when you look at the applications for admissions to colleges, anybody that knows anything about college admissions, that anything beyond like three or four committed activities, they're looking at you sideways because how can you be fully present? How can you be the best that you can be when you are involved in 18 things? Oh, by the way, and you're working a part-time job. When are you sleeping? You're not. You can't even think straight because your brain is short circuiting because you have so many things going on. Anxiety, depression, paranoia, insomnia, eating disorders. I mean, it's crazy. No pun intended, but it's crazy. And the child is eroding their sense of self. It's like literally just seeing the kid turn to sand and they're just diminishing with each thing that's piled on them. And it doesn't take all of that to show that you're stellar. It doesn't take all of that to prove that you're amazing. As someone who's been an overachiever my whole life, it doesn't take all of that to show that you're extraordinary, that you're exceptional, that you're intelligent. It just doesn't. It doesn't. And it's to the detriment of the child. Mm -hmm. Don't, yeah, don't do too much. Enjoy. And, you know, I talk about two things a lot on this podcast. One is the importance of community and our mental health. And the Mm -hmm. other is the importance of rest and solid sleep on your mental health. And if you are missing those two things, your mental health is not. Yeah. Sleep deprivation has the same impact on the brain that drugs and alcohol do. It deteriorates. And if you are sleep deprived, if you don't allow your physical body and your mind to get the appropriate amount of rest, I don't care what you say, and they can argue me down today, pass out. 
There is data to prove that you are not showing up 100%. If you have to take a Red Bull and a hit of whatever to get through, because, you know, something we talked about too before we started recording, you know, kids pill popping and, you know, they've got a friend that has ADHD and they're, let me take that. Let me get that so that I can stay awake to study for this exam. Hello, there's a problem. There's a problem. Yeah. And kids are still having farm parties. Yeah. It's they are. Yeah. They're I still mean, having these pharmaceutical parties where they're just exchanging drugs and trying and to stay awake and trying to stay sharp and trying to stay gotta gotta keep going, gotta keep going, gotta keep going. Okay. And I'm gonna say this again and I will say it over and over again. Don't tell me I will sleep when I die, because if you say that you will die sooner. And you won't live your life as well and enjoy it and be present. So like, it's important for all of our physical and mental well-being to get the rest Mm -hmm. we need, the nutrition that we need, be involved in the things that matter to us. But it can be too much. All of those things, right? You can get too much sleep. I know that may sound weird, but if you're not getting out of bed, what's going on? Anything in excess. Any thing in excess is not good for you. You have to have balance in every aspect of your life. If you don't have balance, something is going to be thrown out of whack and you're going to feel it in your mind or you're going to feel it in your body, but you are going to feel it. It's going to show up. And when you start to feel that, take a pause, evaluate what's going on and make some changes as necessary in a hurry. Absolutely. And so being involved in sports is great. I know we I feel like we ended on this, like mm-hmm. all these bad things, but sports can be fantastic. There's that Absolutely. community that we talked about in the beginning and, and it's great for your body. It can be great for your mental health too, when you're moving and you're active. But like you said, it's that balance. It's, if, is it too much? If you're spending yeah. six or seven hours a day as a 15 year old on your sport, yeah. maybe it's time to take a step back and, and see what's yeah. really going on. Um, yeah. But also enjoy what you're doing. And if that's sports, yeah. awesome. If it's choir, awesome. If it's debate, awesome. Be involved in a community yeah. at whatever level yeah. you're at. Um, so on that we'll end. So Dr. Pitts, thank you so much for being here with me and sharing your wisdom about sports and, and our mental well-being and especially when it comes to our kids so thank appreciate you so much it for having me. appreciate it thank you thank you and if you want to find more about dr pitts you can check out her website which is drlaurenpitts.com super my, easy to read dr lauren d pitts oh lauren d pitts ah yes yep. it is it's right there on my screen lauren d pitts.com mm-hmm. and i'll link that in the show notes as well as links to her books that she's written mm-hmm. um and her podcast as well um because if you've got a kid Or if you're an athlete, I think you could definitely benefit from listening to House Talk pregame so that you can, you know, see what's going on in that world um, of sports. And um, again, thank you so much for being here with me. And with that, we have reached the end of today's episode. And thank you so much for listening and learning more about how mental health and society meet. Go out and open a conversation and discover how mental health is experienced in your world. You can find more episodes of The Mental Society in all the places you find your favorite podcast. Please be sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on anything. You can find additional resources by visiting our website, thementalsociety.com. 
And remember that you are not alone in your struggles. Hope and help surround you. And until next time, this is Amanda Dolan, wishing you good health, mental and otherwise. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That was great.